0: such a big topic. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, I'll try and give you an overall... A lot of the things that you're asking about is what this entire nine months is about, which is really good because it means you've come to the right place and I actually have something to give you, right? So that's, that's the that's a positive. But I can't unroll it all at once. But I want to just say there's a few things that we want to consider. Um, that are separate issues that can't be conflated. So the first thing to be said is that when we have to do, let's call it masculine or go activities, right, we do need that, um, that strong alignment and forward motion. And we do need to discipline our brain to go somewhere and do something. There is no feminine way of doing that because that's bullshit, you know. That's, that, there, there's a reason there is something this way, right? This way is this way and not that way, right? So that's really important to understand because there's a lot of conflation around that. When you need to get shit done, you need to get shit done. And there's only one way to get shit done and that is to get shit done, right? That's just yeah. the way it goes. So... However, within that, um, we have to consider that a woman's physiology, for instance, is such that um, usually our energy sits low and pools and flows because reproductive organs—you know, everything, everything that happens from a hormonal, reproductive, survival standpoint—happens down here. So we do need to squeeze and we do need to push up and there is a certain effort that has to be um, done. Same for men, by the way, it's just their energy system is slightly different, so it has different positive and negative effects. So when you notice that you have a lot of tension, the first thing to examine is... Can the stuff that you are, can the things that you're doing, be done with less tension? Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. because the thing in itself requires a certain amount of tension. Right, like if you lift something up, some, you can't be totally flabby because then it's not going to be lifted up. Mm-hmm. But is there other tension that goes on top of that tension that's not needed? And so, for instance if you have an enormous amount of suffering around having to do masculine activity, that's extra tension. Because you're essentially resisting something, you're pulling back while moving forward. Mm -hmm. And so you're creating tension tension and you're creating friction and wear and tear and stuff like that. So the first thing is always to consider, can you do the thing with less tension than you're doing it? Right. And just go, okay, I got to do this now. I'm going to go with it. When I'm done, I'm going to switch. Right. So that's the first thing. Then the second thing is, can you remedy some of that tension by stopping moving your body, having a cup of tea, smelling a flower, lighting a candle, putting some music on, moving in the car, um, having one of my favorite things when I do a lot of emails is I have this prickly ball that I roll my feet on, right? Things like that, where you are reversing the energy flow away from the worst of the tension. Mm -hmm. So that's Mm -hmm. always a possibility. The third thing, then, is to consider that the things we do the most build the strongest habits. Everything we've ever learned, we've learned through repetition. So whatever you repeat the most is the strongest habit pattern in your body. So if you do 12 hours of go, 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 and 10 minutes of nonlinear, right, you have way stronger habit patterns around go, go, go than nonlinear. So how you best counteract the excessive go thing is not to not do that, but to up your flow and to practice your flow so that your flow is as available as the go. And then you get to a point, eventually, where both muscle groups, so to speak, are equally developed. And here's the good news. Because flow is native to a woman's body, it's much faster to train for flow than for go. That is very good news. That's very good news for all of us. Um, it's, it goes, you, you immediately remember, because it is your native, it's one of your native dispositions. So you don't have to do 12 hours of flow to counteract the 12 hours of go. Um, but you do need to have a bit of muscle there. Because if you don't have muscle, it's going to take a lot of effort to do be right you have to do being and then that creates more of the doing and so you have to be able to be muscle nervous system habit pattern wise Mm -hmm. so that you can just flop into being from going Mm -hmm. and back and it doesn't take very long actually where you then have capacity in both and then you pick because I know people who are efforting into being because, you know, they go, I now must be, mm-hmm. you know, and then so they have a whole schedule for being <laughs> and flowing and, <laughs> yeah, and then what you'll do is you'll just look at the areas where you don't have the development and um, then you'll, you know, develop those areas. Okay, that was a very uh, fast and dirty explanation. We'll, we'll, we'll go there, I think. But there's nothing wrong and there's nothing bad about being able to get shit done, right? And it doesn't mean you're deficient as a woman or whatever. It's just not the best use of your energy and time all the time, right? And and I think um, for me personally, because I live in that place a lot, uh, once I understood the difference, which took a while, because there's certain ideologies around that and all of that. Once I understood that actually a lot of the things that are considered masculine in the, you know, whatever, tantric, dogmatic world out there, are actually just my native gifts. I'm just really good at getting shit done. That's just and, and I love it, actually. But it's not a masculine, feminine thing. It's a, what are you good at? Can you do that with minimum suffering and push and effort and then can you do the other thing with minimum push suffering and effort as well and then you have it both and then you're a fully formed human being who can function however you choose and that to me is actual true women's empowerment right is that you have it both and you have it available and you choose when you want what it's not there is not a don't do this don't do it's having good technology so to speak internal technology and that's the other thing with the go mode a lot of us have learned those new skills with a lot of extra pressure attention Mm -hmm. because the going was tougher the survival was needed Mm -hmm. or other people were expecting things from us before we were ready so a lot of our go skill Or, you know, we had to prove to daddy that we were as good as our brothers or some you know, whatever. Our go skills often come with a lot of tension. But some women's flow skills come with a lot of tension, right? All right, well, it's such a loaded topic, right? So there is some traditions, both in the Hindu tantric and the Buddhist tantric, traditions, in, in some other traditions as well, but you find literature around that in those traditions, in the tantric traditions. And there's also other offshoots that are, you know, a little bit more murky, you know, certain kundalini yoga traditions, and not necessarily kundalini yoga as yogi bhajan, because they're all about not having sexual energy and stuff like that. But um, there's, there's different, you know, versions of kundalini yoga um in those traditions depending if they're kind of neo tantric or or even neo yogic traditions or more traditional that's dealt with differently and so in the kind of neo tantric somewhat not all of them but somewhat sex oriented or even sex cultish traditions the rising of your kundalini somehow denotes that you've arrived somewhere, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but and and what it what it denotes in those traditions is that somehow now you're like uh, enlightened and multi orgasmic, so to speak, right? The origin of that comes from practices and it's funny because we've just started doing the inner yoga practices in year 6 so that gives you an idea how long it takes right um in in certain um practice situations or or engagements what you're working with is kind of the subtle body and the channels in the subtle body and so there is the right and the left channel, you know, the, the, the yogic systems have channels, nadis. And so the right and the left channel and the center, central channel. And so you, there are certain exercises and practices where you learn how to um, refine your energy. First, notice your energy, refine your energy, and then be able to direct your energy for certain practices. Within those practices, there's practices that open and clear the central channel and when you clear and open the central channel um, you then start working with the different chakras um, as as centers of energy that denote certain kind of um, practices and developments and sometimes attainments or powers or whatever right however you want to say that and so the clearer your central channel gets the easier your chakras spin and things like that and then you can do these inner marriages of masculine and feminine and those create bliss states and the bliss states that that they create they're not like you said arousal states they're like wide open you know usually you have to open the heart first and then it opens your throat and then it opens your head and stuff like that if you do it in an organized fashion right but that all said, the goal of those practices is a, um, a, a nimble um, use of your energy, so to speak, for the sake of healing, um, you know, managing your life force, and then for some people it's awakening or in, you know, enlightenment. Um, And so why it's such a big deal? For some people, the rising of the kundalini, uh, they connect that with a certain form of attainment, Mm -hmm. right? either bodily or spiritually. And, of course, in the neo-tantric thing, uh, cults or or teachings, it it denotes that somehow now you're sexually open. Mm -hmm. And now the real danger is that some people... um, essentially force their energy up other people's central channels which can fry their systems and you often see that that people start having these kind of traumatic things when it happens you know when when their energy rises because they have scar tissue or kinks in the system and so it's and then you people talk about kundalini psychosis and you know where people dissociate and stuff like that so that, when you say, what's the big deal, people have a lot attached to it, right? Um, left alone, your body will allow energy to rise as far as it can rise. And it, as it rises, and if you don't push it, and if you don't force it, then different centers in the body open more and more over time. Right? And that's really good and useful and helpful, and I wouldn't necessarily do anything with that. Right? I would just note how high it can rise and what it feels like and the benefits, if there's any, and leave it alone yeah. unless you are wanting to engage in specific practices where um, the ability to direct that energy would be useful. Yeah. And so over time, and if you're interested, it's not exactly what we're doing in the first year, but if you're interested, there's things you can do with it, and we can point you towards some literature and stuff like that. But yeah, it's good to have uh, command over your energetic body, so to speak. Right. Yeah, I but further, f- f- more than stopping it, not stopping it when it happens, it would be also be good to direct it and use it mm-hmm. for, let's say, health or... Yeah. Um, you know, clarity or things like that, so... Do you want to add something to that? Not really. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve knows a lot of stuff about that, so that's why I'm asking. I'm not just arbitrarily asking. He, he does practices and has knowledge that lends itself to that. But you can just email him and he can give you some recommendations on some reading and stuff like that. Yeah. It's an interesting conundrum because I, for one, am not a believer that women should be all mindless or brainless or, you know, let it all go and hang about in this, you know, flowy, flowy thing in the kitchen, yes. Um, I, have a, I have a huge problem with that kind of neotantric, hyper-feminine, crazy bullshit because it's, it's not true, right? That's not how most women are. Um, we have ability in one direction, we have ability in the other direction. And for me, real women's empowerment is being able to go as hard as I want to go, and flow as hard as I want to flow when I want to, and not be taken over by some, you know, thing or other. So I personally think that having analytical thought... And the ability, all of you, right, you're all, you pretty much everyone in here, almost everyone in here is in coaching or therapy or whatever, right? So you've developed an ability to think clearly and to uh, speak precisely and to make sense of what you're feeling. That's a very needed and advanced human skill. So I don't think it's right or advisable to completely drop that because why, right? So I just want to say, when you catch yourself analyzing something, that's not a bad thing, right? We had somebody the other day send us an email from some spiritual teacher that she was about to get involved with, and the first thing he said was, what, what, he, what did he say? Yeah. Oh, hey, kiddo, is how he addressed her, a man, to, a man who teaches women's, women's practice. Women. Hey, yeah. Hey, kiddo. That's yeah. yeah. But then he said, "We must get you. What was it? Get like, you out of your head. Uh, it's quite urgent. <laughs> uh, I know how yeah. to do that. Yeah. That sort of so, so he was essentially telling her that thinking is bad, which of course disables her critical function towards this guy, right? So, yeah. So you don't ever want to give up your critical function. So that's what I'm trying to say. Once you know you have good critical function and once you know that the chatter can take over, which it can, then it's good to um, willingly let that go. And so how I do that for myself is I allow myself always at the beginning. I've been doing this, this moving what you're feeling practice in, in variations as I developed it since I was 18, so I'm 52 now, so you do the math. Right, so that's 34 years. Pretty much daily in some form. Sometimes longer, sometimes shorter. So I allow myself a moment to just do the thing that my head does. And when I'm like really in a heavy-duty work period, for instance, where there's a lot of um, also creative thought, I sometimes do the first part of my practice with having a little notepad because I notice that stuff comes up and it will loop because, you know, or I have a finding in my body and I don't want to lose it, so it pops back up over and over and over. So I might make a few notes in the beginning till my head can relax, and then I go. Like I said to you, you don't need to understand it. The body has an intelligence. And if you let the body's intelligence take over... The body can actually take care of things much faster than you can mentally. Strong sensations and emotions, yeah. Well, there's two ways to look at it. One is you can learn how to work with triggers better, right? So that's one thing. You can learn what triggers you and deal with the triggers and and learn uh, state breaks and you know, uh, ways to interrupt the triggers. You can do that. And that's therapy does that, and meditation does that to a certain degree, and you know, all of those kind of things. You can also learn how to increase capacity for feeling. And then what happens is the thing that you're holding, like the container that you're holding that contains your sensations and emotions, is bigger so they don't slosh over, so to speak, right? Just, so if you have a bowl this big, right, and I pour this in, not much happens, but if you have like a tiny little cup and I pour this in, it will flow over. That's one of the ways you can imagine it. So capacity building comes from re- relaxation, so re- being able to relax the body, being able to wash out um, any excess in, without resistance, or holding on, right, like not not trying to keep it down, um, but also not trying to push it away, where if it spills over, you let it spill over in an organized fashion, like in what we just did. And then um, the ability to, let's call it, um, I don't like lean in, it's not quite that, it's like turn turn towards the thing, Um And meet it for what it is, instead of going, oh, that shouldn't be. I shouldn't feel that. This isn't good. But to go, oh, here we are, right? This is what's happening. And then the capacity building allows you to um, deal with more more of life, so to speak, and conduct life and discard what's not useful and work with what's useful, right? And so that has to do with conditioning your nervous system and your body to um, not be as reactive and to be um, able to navigate strong sensations and emotions. So that's how that's that that's the body way of doing it. Nonlinear helps a lot with that. So yeah. So you, the more you can involve your body, like, for instance, you had the situation, right? And then you could feel that you couldn't quite hold it. So instead of freezing down, hunkering down, right, and trying to hold it in, you can just let it run through you and move through it and let the body take care of it and then deal with what's left, right? So that's that's one way of dealing with things. You can go into the bathroom, go into a toilet stall, move your body. That's totally doable. Or you'll have to deal with it in the evening, right? But you have to imagine and I look at a practice, you know, there's different ways to practice. There's remedial practice, meaning you do something to remedy something and then there's capacity building or maintenance or or building something but you should always use some kind of somatic practice like you floss your teeth you should do daily flossing of your nervous system (laughs) right and then that makes it so that you don't have so much overload